At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. You ready? I'm ready. Let's Guys. Go. Oh, sorry. Are you one more time? Are you ready? Yes. Guys, welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader. Guess who's here? Nick Rossi, the, the ultimate. Before we talk to Nick, we're going to take care of a little bit of business. I want to thank my sponsors for supporting the show. If it wasn't for them, I couldn't do the show. Number one is Broadback Ironworks, makers of the 2x72 grinder. It's a great grinder for knife, made by knife makers, for metal workers, sculptors, woodworkers. If you're removing material, this is a good option for you. And if you go to broadbackironworks.com, put in the promo code KNIFETALK10, you're going to get 10% off all your grinders, attachments, parts. And there are different options, and there are different parts. And if you want to put together, it'll, they'll put it together. If you want to paint it, they'll paint it. If you want to do all it yourself, you can do that too. So go check out what's going on over at Broadback Ironworks. And I'm looking forward to seeing them at Maker Camp. Next are my friends at Even Heat. Even Heat is the finest heat treat oven available. And I love Even Heat, and I love the guys at Even Heat. Uh, Spence and his family are really just salt-of-the-earth great people. And I got off the phone with Spence uh, last week, and he helped me with some interesting things. And he's just a good guy. It's a great family. And if you go to evenheat-kiln.com, you can check out what they have. Highly recommend the tap control. Highly recommend their solid-state drive. And from what I understand, Neil Campbell Moore says they have a new product. It's called a turn and burn. No more, no more computers. You just dial up to the temperature what you want and it'll get you there so check out what's going on at even heat and uh i appreciate you guys um next is in australia my friends at nordic edge that's at nordic underscore edge on instagram they're uh they're a great company they make pro tools for knife makers and blacksmiths and people getting started or people getting resupplied and they're in australia and they also teach classes and they have lots of blacksmithing classes available they have bladesmithing classes available they have they have parts, they have handle material, they have steels, whatever you need. Listen, if, if Jamie Bishop's involved, that means something, that's for sure. So go check out what's going on over at nordicedge.com.au. Say hello to them and uh, see what the big fuss is about with those guys. Next are my friends, Lawrence Lake, Maritime Knife Supply. He's my buddy. I'm going to see him soon. Uh, all your belts, abrasives, knife-making needs, steels, kilns, forges, heat shooting ovens, presses, you want your damage steel. If you're in Australia, go to Maritime Knife Supply for sure, 100%. They're in Canada, but they ship to the United States with ease. Take advantage of that exchange rate. And if you're looking for something that he doesn't have, Lawrence Lake is also a knife maker. He takes a lot of classes. He's a, just a dynamite guy. And if you're looking for something that maybe the knife makers of Canada would appreciate, go ask him. I'm sure he'll take care of it for you uh, without question. And Maritime Knife Supply is a huge su supporter of a lot of maker podcasts and uh, the knife making community at large. I know he did a really great thing with the New England School of Metalwork, and he's he's a salt of the earth dude. So many thanks to Lawrence Lake or at MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. I have to thank my friends, Sam and Jeff, over at Trojan Horse Forge. They're the makers of the THF Stable Rail Knife Finishing Vices. 
Vice, they're not vices are built in the heart of Texas, and they will take your handles to the whole new level. But not just your handles. You can bolt plates on and you can hand sand. Everyone likes hand sanding. No one loves hand sanding. But if you're going to do it, why don't you do it with a little bit of ease? Get yourself one of them stable rail knife finishing vices. Bolt on that plate with all the rubber and all the attachments. And you can hand sand in, in comfort, 100%. And then they also have all these dynamite new things. They have a, um, a handle press attachment for gluing up your hidden tang knives. It, it, it attaches to your uh, THF knife finishing vice. Uh, 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 your stable rail knife finishing vice, and you can uh, you can glue up your handles with that. They also have the T4 Sentinel oil, which I've been using a lot of, and it is really great stuff. So if you go to TrojanHorseForge.com, put in the promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off all the stuff over at Trojan Horse Forge. Definitely check what those guys are doing. Um, another great company that supports uh, makers and, 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 all, and such. And so speaking of makers, my friends over at Baker Forge and Tool, I got a new space. Go definitely go to Baker Forge and Tool on Instagram and see what they're doing. They're documenting their builds. They're documenting their steel. If you're looking for a little razzle-dazzle in your life, if you're a stock removal guy and you want to get a little bit of something special, go check out what they have. They have really nice bronze mines and tiger mines and copper mines and all these really great things um, that'll allow you to put a little bit of be a little lead in your pencil. You know what I'm saying? So go to BakerForge.com and put in the promo code... Um, Put in the promo code full blast and you're going to get 10% off everything, including Gator Piss. What? Gator Piss? Yeah, Gator Piss. It's their, it's their etching. And no one ever talks about etchings now until now. Okay, people are using Gator Piss every five minutes. It's because it, the name in itself, but it is great stuff. And you can definitely check, get yourself a jug of Gator Piss, get yourself 10% off. And if you are in the EU and you want to know what the fuss is about, go to DIYEurope.eu and they have Gator Piss and uh, they get yourself squared away with them. So next is, I've been using Total Boat a lot. I like Total Boat very much. I like the people at Total Boat. They make uh, adhesive paints, primers, polishing compounds, boaters, and DIYers. They understand that they, they, you need your projects to go smoothly. I've been using their two-part epoxy, and I'm getting really great results with it. It's uh, marine-grade epoxy. I love it. They also have dyes specially formulated for their epoxies. Uh, which is great and they also have other products like uv cure clear resin you put a little squirt in it you hit it with the ultraviolet flashlight bingo bango bongo cracks are filled definitely check out what's going on over total boat it's totalboat.com slash full blast all the promo codes and all the links are in the show notes of where you're listening to this episode so you can you don't have to write you don't have to get a pad and pencil down for this you know what i'm saying GL Hansen and Sons, my friends, G.L. underscore Hansen and Sons, they're the makers of G Carta, which is this unique composite of natural fibers, fabrics mixed with epoxy under heat and pressure. It's great stuff. And if you go to gcarta.bigcartel.com, you can see what it's all about. You can also go to g.l. underscore Hanson Sons on Instagram and see what they're doing. They have awesome stuff, really wild stuff. It's like cross cut micarta, but the, the rags are the canvas or the rags are different colors and they're put in this really great pattern. And you can get stuff like Bofa and Ripple Cut and Tuxini by Mikey and Mahi Mahi, Radio Worm G Carta, Pheasant by Mikey, Colorama by Mikey, Hoopla by Mikey. You should definitely check. Check out what they have because it really is really great stuff. So check out what they got over at gcarta.bigcartel.com. And last but certainly not least, I want to thank my friends at Tormek. They're celebrating 50 years in business with the black 
TH sharpening uh, system. It's awesome. If you want to learn about it, definitely check out Tormek.com. Their water-cooled sharpening systems are really kind of neat, and uh, I've really kind of enjoyed using them. To uh, They've really helped me become a better knife maker, frankly. Um, and if you go to Tormek underscore sharpening on Instagram, you can see what they're doing, but they are really great, and uh, they're really good people, and uh, I appreciate everything about them. And speaking of really good people... With that, without any further ado, my guest is is a hero. Is a hero in the bladesmithing community. He is, in as far as I'm concerned, and I'm most other people. Actually, I, I said this before. I said arguably one of the best teachers in the world. And everyone got mad that I said argue, arguably, the best teacher, the best knife making teacher in the around. Ain't no, ain't, I mean, number one, Nick Rossi's here. What's going on? Oh, oh, shucks. I'm so embarrassed, but thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Good good to be here. Always good to hear your voice. Uh, yeah, good to be here. So how you been? Busy, busy. Just really, really busy. Yeah? Yeah. Lots yep. of teaching, lots of building, lots of making. You know, this was a real uh, uh, travel-heavy summer for me. I did a lot of traveling, a lot of workshops, um, and uh, and I also did about the, uh, the, the same amount of of, of uh, shows and events. So it's been balancing uh, all the travel and then just trying to get back into the shop and, and produce and, and make knives as fast as, uh, as fast and as well as humanly possible. That one of the great things about watching you is you're always teaching, but when you're not teaching you, you are a, you are a foot on the ground uh, believer in, in, in farmers markets and craft shows. And you set your table up and you talk to people you if I you make me tired, you know. Uh, yeah, you know, I gotta tell you, I'm pretty tired myself. So, uh, so, so, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's it's great. It's totally great. Uh, it's really invigorating. It's great to get in front of people. And you know, for me, my my favorite customers are are customers that that don't necessarily know that they want a custom knife, and maybe I might be their first exposure to custom knife making in general. Um, and I think we kind of forget that that there are people out there like that. Like we kind of see custom knife making as like this huge, huge thing. And it's, it's really like a niche of a niche. So I just love getting in front of people that have like never seen this work before and talking them into buying a kitchen knife and, and putting it to use. But your experience, you, you have a different experience than a lot of people don't know about it. If you listen to the first time you were on here, you, your first real experience in knife making started when you were selling knives at a small knife shop in, in Maine. Yes, that that's true. Um, that's true. So like I started out in retail, so I'm pretty comfortable with retail with with being in front of people and, you know, just answering questions and, and talking about knives. Uh, and it comes really naturally to me because even after 24, 25 years, I still I still really love knives and it still gets me so excited. And to get people as sort of pumped as I am about it uh, just is is so much fun. I, I when I talk to a lot of pe knife makers and sculptors and makers in general, I often think back to how their previous jobs or their previous interests inform their decision making and, and, and attitude. Now, I know for me, um, my days in sculpture or my days working in metal shops has informed informed how I think of um, uh, how I work now. I can't help but think that your time in front of people and, and explaining things to them, you must have enjoyed retail to a certain degree. Uh, yeah, you know, in, 
and mostly I, I I enjoy talking about knives, but I also enjoy hearing about knives and and that sort of experience hearing about people that literally have different types of uh, of, of, of boning knives, fillet knives, chest knives in their hands, you know, literally 10, 10 to 12 hours a day. That that's really where the best feedback comes from. So yeah. it, it's it's hearing hearing that feedback as well as talking about it that was the most the most var- valuable part of that experience. But you're bringing it back. So like when you go to one of these crafts fairs, you're kicking into old Nick Rossi. You know, from behind the bench, you're behind the desk at the the that knife shop you were working at, and uh, oh yeah, you almost like slip right in like an old you know like a, you're very comfortable in that in that mode. You know, it really is pretty pretty comfortable. It's pretty easy at this point, and. And also that, that kind of helped me getting a job in the industry at such a young age. I mean, I was 15 when I got hired there. Like I had to, I had to apply for a work permit for an underage person to, to work there. And, and, and having, uh, you know, like a, a lot of people tell you never make your hobbies, your profession. And it's knives have always been a, a job for me. They've always been. Uh, a way for me to to make money uh, to that point and and it hasn't really diminished my enthusiasm for it so you know uh each person you know may vary but that really like has not been the case for me like turning your hobbies and your passion into a full-time a full-time job see i think that that's an incredible point but a lot of it is a lot of it's lost on people because especially now like you're saying knife making is this niche upon a niche which is true a lot of people get to the point where they'll find it maybe they'll take a class maybe they'll watch a youtube video maybe they'll noodle around and then they'll find this enjoyment after maybe a year after whatever they decide the messages we get at knife talk every five minutes are i'm thinking about going full time and i always say when you start saying full time you're either in business or you're not in business you got to stop with the full-time part-time it's either you're doing it or not What's interesting is so many people don't have that understanding that making your hobby a, a job is might not be for them. Yeah, and and I I think that you, this this is kind of uh, uh, I can kind of argue both sides of this because you know you hear you hear there's all sorts of people that give you all sorts of advice which you know ranges from like terrible to really great and and there, there's a lot to be said for for uh, taking something that you enjoy and keeping it as as an enjoyable thing um, and and there there's a lot to be said to sitting down and doing the math to see if turning your passion into a full-time career is plausible or even something that you want to do. So, so there, there's a lot of consideration on, on both sides and, 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 you know, people will give you absolutes either way. And they're both really not true in that sense. And the one thing that I don't think anyone ever takes an account of, and now I'm about, I'm about, I'm about to be 50. I'm about to be 50 pretty soon. I'm talking to, and everyone says, why are you talk about it so much? I'm trying to embrace it by, by talking about it so much that I'm trying to own it. But I've been, in the last number of years, I've been really taking stock in regards to my life and the things that I've done and the things that I'm planning on doing. And I, and I think about other things. I think about Uri Hoffi. I, I think about Uri Hoffi in the sense of like, I don't think he would have been the person that he was if he didn't start blacksmithing at an older age. And I wonder if that's the thing that people don't realize is how your age and experience informs the better decisions that you make. 
Oh, surely, surely. I mean, I am also grappling with being 100% a middle-aged person at this point. You know, I'm I'm now in into into my 40s and that definitely uh definitely affects your your perspective. Um, you know, especially I've been in this for for a long time. Um, and, and again, you know, there are just so many different variables with it. some, someone getting into this at 30 or 35. Uh, they, they also have the benefit of, of this being a world full of information and tools. So I, I don't know if I would discourage someone finding this later in life to really like make, make a go of it because it's a very different environment, uh, now than it was when, when I got started. So it's a lot easier in a lot of ways and a lot harder in other ways. But at the same time, I think it's also intention. Like my intention, my intention in the originally was I was working at a couple of different metal shops. I was at the Center for Metal Arts for a long time. And then we left. I left on mediocre terms. I went to another metal shop in my town. I had a very small daughter and I was a fabricator for a number of years. And then I ended up leaving a a friend of mine. This was, you know, I was miserable. A friend of mine offered me a job as a contract, as a, uh, uh, not a construction worker, as a carpenter. And then I was there for a while. And then I was unceremoniously laid off just because he couldn't figure out, he didn't realize how to do W2s and stuff like that. And and I, Mm. all of a sudden, and it was, and I got to the point where, my wife had said, listen, we need someone to help. I mean, you can help. You can still make sculpture. I've been, you know, I had galleries. I know how to make sculpture. I know how to do this stuff. And we still need some help with, you know, our daughter. So in the beginning stage, it was just like trying to hustle, hustle, hustle. Did more teaching on the side. Did a little of this and all that. The knife making helped financially the burdens that we were coming to because I couldn't just take another job right off the bat. And we had this small child. It, it all worked out. But I, but if it wasn't for the the time and energy I had as a sculptor in the '90s, working by myself, or understanding how shitty I was at, at business, I would never have been able to make the right decisions to 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 find the happiness that I have now. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's funny how how it all it all works out, and like you get you you get these skills where you you know, and I know I I know you know what I mean. Where if you had to do this in in literally an eight by twelve shed, you could make money doing it in an eight by twelve shed. Absolutely, like no no problem. Yeah, it would not be it would not be an issue. I mean, I could probably even make it work without without power. And and those those skills you know came to me from from the passion of of just of just wanting to pursue it and once you have the skills you have them and they're they're marketable once you have them but it takes you a long time to develop that that brings me to something that i've been talking about a lot lately which is is it better to have the information the knowledge and the technique or is it better to have the equipment and what i what i've been talking about was you know i had a lot of experience in metal work for almost 30 years and in general and i feel as though it's invaluable to how i work in general even in and then learning all this stuff to the point where the tools the nicer tools and the nicer this and then it's not as important as the being the ability to be able to do it without without any problems yeah and i i mean i'm not the best example of of utilizing tools to make as much money as humanly possible but i'm i'm a pretty stripped down uh you know stripped down maker of knives like i i i really just use uh you know a bell sander power hammer press 
drill press like that. Th- those are really like the, the things, the things that I need. And even like the, the, the power hammer and the press thing are not, not something I even really necessarily need to, to, to make a go of it. In fact, when I was getting into this, it was like, yeah, as far as a power hammer, you knew a guy who knew a guy whose dad had a power hammer. That was right. like as far removed as I was from, from, you know, from power tools. So, so I, I think that it's better to have the skills than it is to have the tools. Yeah, that's one of the things that I think about because now, you know, when you look at how things are now, how we learn, how we how we learn about uh, anything really, let's just take knife making for example. The internet has made has made things so easy for people to learn how to do things, watching videos or or taking an online class, like taking your online class or taking Jason Knight's online class or, or, or Steve Schwarzer's, or you can go on YouTube and you can watch how to do this, watch how to do that. There's so many tools that are also becoming so easier to get. Like all of a sudden, everyone's got a CNC machine. Everyone's got a plasma table. Everyone's got a, not everyone, I'm being sarcastic, obviously. I'm being, uh, you know, glib, uh, you know, all you know every it's very it's become easier and easier to kind of get this equipment to make life what they what seems easier uh yeah yeah i mean in and it's just crazy like i can think of three of my friends that own fiber lasers i mean if you think of that 10 years ago i mean it was not even not even feasible and and it's just amazing like i you know i'm not you know, taking you into old man corner and saying, Oh, it was better when it was harder. Like, no, this is like a golden age. This is like just amazing that, that we, that this, this stuff is available and more accessible than it's ever been in, in the history of manufacturing. So it's, it's just crazy. It's just crazy to see. It's crazy. It's totally crazy. I was, we had a question on uh, knife talk about uh, induction furnaces. And the fact is, is like any uh, indu- induction forges, anyone can get an induction forge and they're getting cheaper and cheaper. And they're not as people get, you know, weirded out because it seems like it's black magic and more and more people are able to get them cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And it's, it's, it's amazing. The old man corner thing is really interesting because I think about the old man corner a lot. And it, a lot of it had to do with the fact that, um, the, the way we advertise ourselves, the way we uh, try to help our businesses. And Instagram, social media in general has been, I mean, if it wasn't for social media, I would never be able to do this. I would be at like, a, you know, I would have a sharpening stone at a farmer's market or something like that. I don't know if I would be able to do this. And what I'm starting to realize is I'm starting to get older. And as I get older and older, I'm wondering if this, all this stuff isn't for me anymore. And, and when I say that, I feel as though the generations of, of learning, people learning different generations are learning so much differently. And we, him and Hall, I remember when even Instagram really kind of stepped away from photographs and now they want us to do reels and we're having to do these reels and the way we're learning and, and the way other people are learning. And, and, and it's interesting I'm starting to, instead of saying, you got to go learn this way, I'm part of me is just like, I'm at, maybe I'm out of touch. Uh, yeah, you know, and I think that just the fact that you're asking the question, like, am I out of touch, uh, is, is always a good sign. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, 
a lot of uh, the, the same way in, in, in a lot of ways. And, and I, I think just being honest with myself and, and looking at what other, you know, younger people are achieving and doing. And, and I, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel like I'm out of touch. <laughs> well, but it, I, mean, I I don't just say it in regards to knife making. I yeah. almost see it as in, I almost see being out of touch as in um, just the way people learn in general. And the way people take information on it. My daughter is about to be 19. And when we were, you and I were younger, our, we would take math classes and the teacher would say, don't bring a calculator because a lot of time, you know, when you get older, you're not going to need a, you're never going to have a calculator on you. Well, flash, flash forward, everyone has a calculator on them all the time, all the time, you know. And we're, we're starting to see people learn different ways and it's much faster and it's much different. And, you know, you can say, uh, when in my back in my day, this is how we picked up information. But part of me wonders, maybe it's just like, maybe we're fighting a losing battle and we should just, we should just, under, just accept it. Yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like, uh, the, the way, the way that people learn has, has changed, but it hasn't in, in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I, I guess I, you know, I teach a lot of in-person workshops and it's the same techniques that, that have worked really for the last, like, you know, the last, I'd say 50 years of blacksmithing education that still work the same way today. Right. So, I mean, I know this is very different and I'm talking about like kind of, uh, in, in, in antiquated craft to, to a degree, um, but I, you know, I, it feels like the same thing to me. It feels like the same techniques are still super effective and I'm not, I don't have any, any problem changing my curriculum or change the way, changing the way that, that I teach things to make it better and easier for people. And, and I, I do that, but the fundamentals seem to be the same. Uh, so, yes. and this is of course a very isolated thing. You know, this is, a, this is, this is a traditional craft. So that's very different than, than teaching, uh, other things. But from my, from my perspective, it's still very much the same. I guess I, I mean the delivery system of education. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. That, and I totally, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. I, I, I'd say that um, that the, 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 the delivery system has completely changed. It's, it's completely accessible where it was not so accessible. Uh, but I only find that as, as, uh, as an improvement, you know, I, I only see that as just reaching more people. So I'm, I'm very encouraged by that. Well, how has it been going? I know I saw you down, you got to see, go down to Johnstown. What did you think of Johnstown center for mental arts? what do you think? Oh, Johnstown is just like Candyland. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it's just out of control. Um, and, and that is a, a shining light, uh, someone that has vision that is re real. We're talking about Pat, Pat Quinn, who's, who's right. running the thing there. Someone who has vision, someone who has the technical ability, uh, someone that, that really cares about the future of the craft or really just making it happen. Uh, and if, if you can just go there to take a, a class, even if it's just a, a three day intro class, just to be a part of it, it is well worth your time, uh, and energy. It is absolutely amazing. I've, I've talked to Pat a lot. I've had him on a lot of, I've, I've known Pat for a long time. And one of the things that I, that is interesting is Pat is very, he's, he's a, he's very, he's very steeped in fundamentals. He's very steeped in curriculum. He's very steeped and very serious about teaching, 
But at the same time, when I talk to him, he also says, I also have to be aware that there are new places opening up left and right. New people are teaching in the garage or new people. And he's trying to figure out ways in which to, um, to listen to what people are interested in and give them the curriculum that will get them close to what they want. I, I had a really good conversation with him and he was telling me that he's working on new curriculum specifically for things that people want to do. Like uh, there was a, he was just a forging class, a, not a knife making class, but a forging class for knife makers where they learn how to move metal that might help them later, you know, to answer the questions that they have uh, all the time. There's, he's going to be teaching a class for teaching for instructors, how to become an instructor. He's got a lot of ideas that I feel as though he's got a, he's got a finger on the pulse of what people want and he wants to give these classes in a very serious format. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I would say that, that there, there are places, uh, there, there's a place for, for Pat in, in the center line or in the, in the, in the, the center for metal arts, uh, that are kind of like, like the mainline high of metal smithing education. Right. And then there's the other half of it where there's someone, um, who is teaching people how to make spike knives in their garage. And these are both really, really important things. I mean, we have sort of a gateway and then we have, you know, an aspirational, an aspirational place that, that you want to make it to at, at some point. And, and I, I'm, I'm not going to like shit talk either one of those things. Cause they're, they're, they're both super important and into real people in by making a railroad spike knife. Uh, it, you know, that's, that's just as important. Uh, I think. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that because any time I've ever, when I got involved with teaching, it was like over 10 years ago. And when I was helping a friend of mine open up a school and he was saying, what kind of classes do you want? I said, you got to give, you got to give people something that kicks the door in for them. And I always felt very strongly that, you know, you got to put a lot of, you got to put some pop in your, some of your classes. Cause some people just, it's hard to sell a class on how to make J hooks. I'm sorry. I mean, it's, yeah. sometimes that is just the case and you got to give somebody, you, you got to get, people can't spend their time a whole weekend away from their family and come home with some, you know, some uh, hook. <laughs> yeah. It's sometimes it's just like, it's not enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I used to really be that way where I was like, well, you, you know, before you even consider a knife, you know, you need to take a beginner blacksmithing class and you need to you need to spend some time working on these fundamentals before you take that next step. And I've, I've really like softened on that, you know, quite a bit. It's, it's more important to get people excited. And right. if that, if that means, you know, kind of like walking them through a project where maybe it's above their skill level, uh, and, and making something that they can be really excited and really proud of, that's super motivating in a lot of ways. And I would rather see someone want to do, want to do more of it. Um, even, even if that involves like taking a knife class and, you know, every knife class, like anyone who's taken a class with me knows that I'm like, well, you know, if you really like the forging thing, you need to take a beginner blacksmithing class. Like the, 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 the biggest mistake of my career was not starting with a beginner blacksmithing class, but you're here and we're doing this. And if you think it's fun, then I would go back and, and work on these fundamentals. And I find that to be uh, much more uh, inclusive and, uh, uh, and, and, uh, you know, exciting for people. Well, so 
tell me this past year, tell me about the teaching and the in-student, you know, seeing, new, meeting new people. And, and you had old, probably, I would imagine you had old students and you had new students. Give me a synopsis on how you feel the, uh, the, the workshops have been going. Oh, you know, I have to say that they've been, uh, they've been very, very encouraging. Uh, every workshop has been a great mix of, of, of really cool human beings. And it's, it's, it's less of, less of like, you know, eight, eight 45 year old guys with goatees, um, like you don't crack a smile, uh, and like, and like, you know, and, and you, you get, sometimes you get, you get worried about these guys. Like, are, are you, are you having fun? They look at you are like, I'm having the best time of my life, you know? And, 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 you know, and I, I love these guys. Don't, don't get me wrong. No, I know um, what you're saying. You know, no, if you are, if you are one of these, like, I want you come, come take a class. Um, but, but, uh, I, I've, it's been a total, uh, totally different demographic of people from literally uh every every walk of life um and 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 people that don't even you know don't don't have no idea what they're doing getting into this workshop and those are my favorite students to have that that just thought it'd be a good idea and they thought knives were cool so i've been getting a lot of those of those students and that is just so fun that's really really fun there was a there was a uh, a, a, nef- a niece and a niece and uncle who come to, who go to this center for mental arts and they go every few months and they meet one of them lives in, you know, uh, the Midwest. The other one lives in New York and they go to the Center for Metal Arts to take a class. They don't want to become blacksmiths. They don't want to become bladesmiths. They come and bond by taking a class and they've gone to like a few of them. And they're just, I mean, it is, it's something I've never seen before. It's like, we're coming down to Johnstown to do this class together. We just, we just do it together. And it, you do get to meet some people with, with a, a very interesting motivation. Uh, yeah, to- totally agree, and uh, and I've I've really found that with both classes or in person events, making the thing is great, but it's it's the hang time that you right. get with new people that you wouldn't otherwise meet that are you know you've got this bond and this goal that you're working together, and almost whatever you make is 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 immaterial. It almost doesn't matter, um, and that. That, that time together and the bond that you forge, uh, you know, no pun intended, uh, you know, in, in that class is, is, uh, is really, is really important. And it's also what keeps people coming back. Like if, if they really like an instructor, uh, they want to come back cause they want to hang out with you and they know that cool people take your classes and they know it's going to be like a fun, you know, invigorating experience. So when you Figure out your year. I would imagine because obviously, you know, I know I, you you have to figure out your year, and then you're, I'm sure you have to try, try to help sell the class as well. How far in advance do you book all your classes? Do you think to yourself, I need a certain amount of months so I can work at in the shop, or because you teach so much? I mean, you're all over the place. Well, I I was, you know, I I, I got my. I got my master smith last year and I was I was like voluntold that I would be doing a few things. So so that 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 kind of like like affected my my last year quite a bit, but my my 2024 is already completely booked. I am wow. I'm completely booked. Uh I can I can do no more no more away from the shop uh stuff than I than I already have. So it is uh, it is done. It's taken me uh, a while to to figure out the things that I want to do. Uh, in the things that make sense to me, that, that make sense to me both like financially and, and personally. So I'm really feel as though I'm, uh, I'm, I'm figuring that out now. 
So that must really kind of limit your time in the shop. So you are really kind of focused on what you're planning on doing. Yeah, I, I, I have to be spending more time in the shop that, that that's been the lesson that, that I've, uh, I've sort of figured out over the last couple of years. So you figure out your class schedule. How do you figure out your work schedule in the shop? Like, do you think that maybe I need to do some more culinary knives? Maybe I need to do some more hunting knives. You, you know, I just like way overcommit, and then uh, just uh, in a mad, uh, a mad rush, uh, try and make as much stuff as humanly possible. And uh, I'm trying to uh, have a, a more reasonable workload. Um, it is, it, it's pretty crazy. Um, but I have to say that uh, it's really tough to to know what what people are going to want, um, especially with with like the show season thing, right. like the the event I did, uh, you know, a few, few weekends ago, uh, the, the the Common Ground Fair. Uh, you know, last year, culinary knives crushed. I sold out of of all every culinary knife that I had. Um, and in this year, you know, if I had, if, if I had 20 hunting knives, I could have, I could have sold every one of them. Uh, and it, and it, you know, and that's, that's kind of like a frustrating thing where, you know, you just never really know. So, so I just kind of do my best to have a little bit of everything and, and just do, do the best I can. When you overcommit and you go crazy and you, you know, yeah. you're going, that's in my, in my old business, my business partner now, he and I used to run a restaurant and the restaurant used to, uh, overbook the, the restaurant. They'd overbook the seating and then they'd throw in a party and we would call to say, why are you doing, we don't have enough room. And he, she said, they would say, make the mess, take care of it, make the mess. So we always, when you overcommit and you're like wild and you definitely have ridiculous deadlines, it's called making the mess in, in this shop. So I, I, we I embrace like making the mess. I like it. And you know what? Uh, it, it's the way to get fast and good. Like that's, that, that's the way. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's under pressure. That's, that's just the only way to get fast and good. I learned, you know what, I'm glad you said that because I learned, I w was at two shops. I was at the Center for Mental Arts and I was at this other fabrication shop in my town. The fabrication shop was a fast paced, we were doing jobs for union projects. So we were doing a little bit of uh, construction, but it was mostly clad, lots of cladding, lots of spun stainless steel railings, a lot of elevator uh, rails, a lot of, you know, and it was fast, fast, fast. And the place was a dump. And, the, and, and I got nervous because when I first went to the Center for Mental Arts, you could eat off the floors. I mean, they had a, back in the day, it was the Center for Mental Arts and Fine Architectural Metalsmiths, which is, I was really hired to be at Fine Architectural Metalsmiths to be one of the fabricators. And you could eat off the floor. And I started to think, wow, maybe this is a kind of a precision situation and that everything needs to be a certain way. But once I went from there to this like real fast paced place, it was a total disaster. I started to realize, well, maybe it's because it's so clean. Maybe it's just because they're not busy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I really go out of my way to make sure that my, that my shop is as clean and organized as possible. Like even when I am like, a, like, really struggling and, and, and you know, against my back is against the wall. The hour that I take to clean my shop and organize everything, it pays back six or seven hours at, at the end of the end of a 60 hour week. So I, I, I found that like cleanliness and organization is, is a part of my, of my madman uh, production schedule. Wow. Oh yeah. That's Big good. Time. See, hundred percent. I'm 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 starting to kind of embrace the idea that well we're just busy right now. 
So maybe yeah. you know, we'll spend half an hour, 15, 20 minutes or something. The other thing is, is I have, my sister told me uh, when I was younger, she is a, she's a sculptor and she's this awesome shop. And she used to say to me all the time, when it comes to your shop, don't shit it up with crap, which is the exact quote, meaning don't put in anything that you're not going to use. So like the snowblower does not go in your shop. You it, only use like, so in my shop, there's not like tools that I wouldn't use for knife making. So all that other stuff somewhere else. And she used to say, if you just need the stuff that you need, you won't be searching around looking for it. And that's been a huge help to me. Yeah. yeah you know, it was really like being in, in education for almost a whole decade that, that, that beat being clean and organized into me because you just, you know, if you've got eight students, everything has to be organized. Everything has to be in a place. You, you need to know where all that stuff is. And, and that, that really uh, taught me a lot about being disciplined and, and taking, taking care of your things and taking care of your space. It, it, it makes you more efficient. It does. And I have to be better at it. I used to only clean the shop up when somebody was coming <laughs> and, I, and I, and I, and I hate, I resent and, and And that cleanup was always a cleanup of resentment. I was very resentful of the fact that I was having to like, all right, somebody's coming over and let's spend extra time or all night long to kind of clean the place up. And I resented it. But at the same time, it was a good, I, I should do that more often. I guess I have a question in regards to when you first starting teaching, mm-hmm. when you first started teaching, what guided your style? And when I say that, I mean like what were, when you started out, what were the goals for your class and the way you taught? Well, Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, when I started in 2006, it was really great because there wasn't anything to compare myself to. Yeah. Uh, really, there was, there was the ABS curriculum, um, which did not focus on, uh, on finished knives. Um, that, that even to this day. Uh, that that's a, a, a two week class is where you start and you do not make a finished product that, that, that is a part of a thing. And, and I, I, I knew back in 2006 that people just weren't going to sign up for that and that people want a finished product. People right. want a thing. And, and so that really dictated how I taught the class. And for me, you know, having that retail experience, I just explained what I was doing. I just explained what I was doing. I just thought about what I was doing and why I was doing it and, and just talked about it while I was doing it. And, and that's, that was pretty much it. And then it worked. So I was like, this is, this is where it's at. This is, this is what works. How many time? how many, how long do you think before you really kind of got it down? Cause teaching oh. is a learning experience. It's also, you're learning how to, you know, what your goals are for, you know, you want to make sure everyone's on time. You don't want it to be, you know, you, the last thing you want is to, to run four hours over. When you when they say we're closing the shop down at, at five, you don't want to be there at nine, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and the timing thing is something that I'm still working on. Uh, uh, and and I'm, I've gotten pretty good at it to where every class finishes up a full 45 minutes before we're supposed to start cleaning up at the end of it. Uh, and that's... That's taken the most time. That's taken the most time. Just just planning and having that be a relaxing experience on the last day. And usually that means like really like whipping people on the first and second days. Uh, That's really, really just 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 pushing people super hard at the beginning of the class because every minute you save gets is a minute that you get on the end of class. Uh, And that that's. 
That's really the most stressful thing for me because I want everyone to be relaxed. I want everyone to have a good product uh, and and to leave feeling feeling like relaxed and like wow, what what a, what a, what a great relaxing time. So that's the move. That's the, the I started to have to work backwards. Like yes. I do everything backwards. Like even when if I have to catch an airplane. I work backwards. Like, well, what time am I going to have to be at the thing? And then it gets me to what time I need to leave the house. And that is exactly true. You know, these knife making classes are different than a blacksmithing class because a blacksmithing class, you can make a, you can make a pair of tongs. And if you don't get, you know, if you don't pop the hole the first day, it's not the end of the world with a knife, with a two or three day knife being class, you got to heat treat and temper at some point. And it's got to be within the confines of when, you know, you have a certain amount of time, and it's that is always like the major like buoy for me in terms of what about timing. Yeah. And, and, and I do a lot of beginner to season beginner classes because that's what I really like. Uh, and that's also what fills. That's what people sign up for. Uh, and, and it's really different when you do like like an intermediate class, because if you're an intermediate knife maker, I could like really give a shit if you finish, if you have a finished product at the end of a five day class. If you're an intermediate, you know, you should be able to finish that knife or you do not belong in an intermediate class. Right. So so that th- those make it a little bit easier uh there it's more of an exploratory technique based thing as opposed to like a product based thing so uh those are a little less stressful um but again it's 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 the beginner classes that people want to take um and i don't know i feel like the instructors that that get away from from teaching beginner classes like are they really true instructors i don't know that's my that's my that's my little hot take there p.s if you're not, I mean, Nick, you, one of the great things about you on Facebook is that you're slightly subversive, which I appreciate. Thanks. You take some <laughs> shots, you take shots and, and boy, you get people talking, you get I'm, people talking. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not scared. I'm not scared. I, I, I always love, I always, that's the one thing about a lot of knife makers, but you're very good at like highlighting a hot take and like, you know, it's all, I see it more like in, in pitching in baseball when you, when you're do, throwing some chin music. You know, chin music is like the guy's a little, the, the batter's a little bit too close to the plate. So let's just zip it past his nose and then he backs off a little bit. I've always appreciated your subversiveness. Well, you know, I, I, I think it's important to think about uh, your craft and like why you do this and the, and the things that make it interesting and the things that make it weird. And, and I think that it, it's important to take the time to, to think about that. Now I know that this is this question might be like who's your favorite child and I know that we're not going to do that. Oh I know great! Gonna, but but if you go to a class and you start to talk to the students and you kind of gauge everybody's ability, who's the one person that you're going to or who's the type of student that you're just going to be like I'm going to keep my eye on them and I'm going to make them happy. they're going to have a good time. Um. So my favorite thing in life is to make people feel included and to make people feel wanted and to make people like feel like a part of the crowd. Right. So it, it, the, 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 the person that, that I want to enfold within my wings, uh, is the person that is like a little nervous about taking a class like this and showing up and doing a hard thing and maybe embarrassing themselves in front of a huge group of people. Um, which is, a lot. This is a lot uh, emotionally for people to show right. up to a class where you don't know anyone, and you you you're going to be doing stuff wrong. You by nature you're going to be 
uh, failing in front of a big group of people. And, and God, like, if you've got the guts to do that, you have my full respect. And if you are a little nervous about that, you are my student. I want you. I want you in that class. So those are the those are the type of students that I want right there. That's the, what I. That's what the way I always go. And then we talk a little bit, and then if I can tell someone says. I've never done this before. I'm like, I got you. And I'll, yeah. every so often, I'll go up to him and I'll just say, I got you. Don't worry. You got this. I got you. And that's the person that I want to have the best time, always. The person with the least amount of experience is, to me, is always my favorite person to kind of like, I'm 100% with you. That's why I asked it because I thought to myself, I'm just like, you want that person. I know Pat would say to me, he's like, well, this person's never done before. I was like, I got him. Don't worry. I'm going to get him across the finish line. They're going to have a great time. Uh, yeah, I love them. Yeah, I absolutely love them. You know, and I say, I don't care if it kills you. I don't care if it kills me. We're going to have a good time. That's... No, not not really, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the hard part is, is how do you get more people to in-person learning? Hmm. That's really yeah. the question because, you know, I understand. Like, I, I've taken classes. I've paid for classes. I've taken time off to go to classes it's hard for me. It's a little bit easier now that my daughter's in college, but at the same time, it's hard for people to kind of make that commitment to travel and to get a hotel and how are you going to get there? And, and then what about the budget for food? And is this something that's going to be valuable to me as a person or it's hard to do it? But, and I, and I, and I, I'm a, such a huge proponent of what you do and the New England School of Metalwork and the Center for Metal Arts. And it's hard. It's hard to get people to come to classes. Yes, yes, it really is. Uh, it, you know, especially you know, with with the economy the way it is, like your dollar just doesn't go quite as far as it used to, and it is a huge expense and a huge time away from friends and family. Uh, and 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 I I would I would implore you that if you can possibly do in person workshops or in-person events you you should because it really is valuable and worth your time but you know it is uh it's difficult it's a lot i also think it's people's intentions you you have different types of people going to these classes with different intentions you have some people let's just say knife making classes some people who are knife makers who want to be better there are black people or people who just like it as a hobby and they're not interested in it as a as a uh, as a profession, and then there once in a while you get a guy who my parents my uh, my my I got as a Father's Day gift I got a, I got a class and I don't even know what the hell I'm doing here but I'm gonna have a good time. So it's to me it's always the intention of the person coming down. Now a lot of knife making classes, you're gonna get people who want to be professional knife makers. You know I remember I took when Pat took over the Center for Mental Arts I went to take. Uh, he had Aaron Wilburn come to do a, a Damascus class. And I'd always want to meet Aaron. And I always also wanted to support Pat when he made the transition over there. And I took the class and I got so much out of, and I wasn't going to make, I wasn't really, making Damascus wasn't really on my radar. But at the same time, I thought, well, this is good for me. It's good to meet these guys, but it's also something that I've never done before and I should learn it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I I really don't get too many people who really want to be professional custom knife makers in my workshop. I really? I don't know why that is. Uh, I really I really don't. It's usually hobbyist people that are doing it for the first time. People that are just interested. 
very rarely, very rarely. And I, I, I don't really care. I don't think that that's really important. I think that the experience that you get from taking a workshop and making something out of nothing, even if you never, ever, ever do it again, uh, it is enriching enough, uh, that, that it, it, it fundamentally changes you as a person. So, uh, that, that's really my favorite part. Of, of teaching classes. Um, I, I do get a lot of people asking me for advice about being a full-time professional knife maker. And I'm of course, happy to happy to give that any, any advice that I have, uh, but they don't, they don't usually show up in classes that much though. That surprises me. I'm surprised that you don't get a lot of professional knife makers taking your classes. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I do, I do get, I do get a lot. Yeah. You know, like I said, I do mostly beginner classes. I do mostly beginner classes cause that's what people want, want to take. And, a lot of people that are professional knife makers or who see themselves as like, you know, uh, potential professional knife makers, they kind of feel like they might be beyond that. Uh, or a lot of them are already teaching cause that's a, that's a real income stream at this point. Uh, that, that, that there are a lot of people out there that want to, that want to make custom knives, um, and that, that want to do it, you know, for fun. So, uh, yeah, they just don't pop up a lot. Huh. I'm, that's that's surprising to me because you, your reputation really does precede you. And now that you're a master bladesmith, I, I would think that it becomes, you know, you really are this sage that will impart some, you know, good stuff on people. Because, I, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm on Knife Talk that I get like a, a lot of Knife Talk guys. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, it's that's, yeah. Yeah, they're not. And, and a lot of a lot of like intermediate to intermediate advanced knife makers, they're not really the best students. Like you kind of have to fight through uh, everything that they've learned up to that point to get them to start, to start listening to you. So, uh, you know, you can't, you know, if someone knows everything, you can't, you, know, you can't, you can't teach them anything. That, 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 that's the tricky part. And I remember when I teach some of the class, one, you know, one particular workshop, I'll always say to the guys who've done it before, I'll say, fight your urges to whip through this. Fight your urges to just try to be the fastest to forge this particular step because you're going to find yourself, you're going to find yourself later wishing you hadn't. And it's like, it's, it's, it's almost like the car stops and it's like, dad is told, stop the car. We have to talk, you know, stop the car. We got a problem and because it's like the eyes open up. Like I want to be the guy who is the fir first, I want to be the guy who knocks out the thing the fastest and to fight that urge is almost, it's impossible. You know, you there? Did I lose you? Can, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, yes. sorry about that. Uh, yeah, the, 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 the number one thing that, that will hold you back in a workshop is, is, is paying attention to what other people are doing. And, and worrying about other people being ahead of you or being behind you. Uh, and, and that is, that is really, uh, what, what is going to prevent you from fully enjoying the class. And I started my career thinking that there was only a few ways to do things. And that was really, uh, again, a huge, a huge mistake. One, once I just started submitting to the process, like you're saying, uh, not, not bullying through this thing. Oh, well, I already know how to do this. I'm just going to bolt through it and really taking the time to try new techniques. Like this is where, where I actually became more and more proficient. It's, it's hard. And the, the fact remains, and I've, I've said this a million times, learning how to forge 
or or you doing using these industrial industrial equipment at a recreational level and learning it like you said 50 years i think 50 years is is generous i don't think that i don't think this i yeah i don't even th- i think probably 50, 60 years probably closer to 75 years before people really started to do forging as a uh, a hobby you know, let's say a hundred, let's say a hundred, let's say maybe a hundred years ago, that's when people started to do this as a hobby, a recreational hobby. You know, you could take a look at the way anvils are, especially in the United States, and you can see that the reason why most, the, one of the more, more common anvils around here is the London pattern anvil that's around 150 pounds. And the reason why is because someone can move it on a farm. You know, you can move it without equipment. A 150-pound anvil isn't as helpful to a professional blacksmith as like a 700-pound anvil. So it's very clear that there was this certain part of life where, uh, or a certain part of time where there was this connection to creating a, a, a non-professional blacksmith so, so they could DIY it on their farms. Yeah, yeah, and that 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 definitely has has affected sort of how how us Americans see see the craft, um, and that that ex, uh, you know is how most of us were exposed to it. So yeah, yeah, that's uh, that that's a part of a part of the language that, that that we're dealing with here. I wonder how they all learned all these guys on farms who had to shoe their horses. Because I see people shoeing horses now, and I've talked to guys like Riley Kirkpatrick and like professional horseshoers who forge their own horseshoes. And the horseshoe game, the professional horseshoe game, the horseshoe forgers, this is a very complex, this is a very, very complex thing to forge. I think people have been, for too long, have been like, you know, looking down on farriers in general. I wonder how those guys all learned, like the guys on the farms learned how to do it. Um, you know, and it, it's kind of interesting because you know, we we still have uh, pockets of 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 agriculture of of ag of agriculture culture here in Maine that that are pretty isolated, and it's been interesting to see on the the fair circuit, especially the the the, the Windsor Maine fair that I do. We we have uh, blacksmiths that are are completely homegrown uh, of, of people that have learned this pre pre YouTube and, you know, through books and also it's just figuring it out. Yeah. It's just figuring it out and, and just screwing up and, and, and changing that. So I, 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 that, that's really pretty interesting to see people that have learned this completely organically and watching them work and seeing how differently they work or how, how similarly we, we, we work because, you know, we both are just regular people with arms on the sides of our body. And like, there's only so many efficient ways to figure stuff out and you will at some point figure out an efficient way to do it if left alone for long enough. So what, if you were to like think back to the classes that you've taught, what are the ones that you just, I need to teach more of this. This is what really kind of gets me fired up because you do teach a lot of different styles of classes. You know, I, I do, I do. I, I would say that I will continue teaching a regular kitchen knife class until people stop signing up for him. And I think it's going to be a really long time before that happens. Uh, that is the type of class that always fails. People always sign up for, and it is the, the, the best way to learn how to make a first knife because it is so annoying and difficult. And how, since you started 20 years ago teaching, 
how would you see the the difference in students and their expectations? Um, I would say that students generally uh, don't have very high expectations. Uh, really? And yeah, yeah, I would say that that they're they're happy if they can if they can make a knife, and generally uh, their their uh, their their expectations are exceeded by the knives they make. I I would say in 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 most cases, in most cases, there there are always people that that feel as though they could they they could they could have done better. Um, and you know, of course, like after the first knife, you know, you're always going to feel that way. Uh, but you know, I I would say it's actually not changed a whole lot. Huh. That's that's interesting. So I wonder. I remember being involved with the school, and they that one of the teachers submitted the pictures of the what the class was gonna you know what the knife what the class was gonna make look like, and I remember having a very heart to heart with that teacher saying, "This is for a beginner class. These guys better they they think they're gonna make this knife. You have to be very aware that this image that you sent us." is what the expectation is. You got to get close. We got to get close to that. So just, you know, and what are you talking about? Like, wow, people's expectations, you know, you go into some of these knife classes and some of these guys, I remember saying, I want to make a Bowie knife. Well, we're not, we're doing small hunting knives. We're not doing Bowie knives. Well, yeah, but I want to, there was all this like managing expectations. Yeah. And, and I would say that, 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 uh, you, you know, yeah, you need to be careful with your descriptions and you need to have a picture that that's representative of, of what you're going to be making. And also you just have to be willing to say tough shit. Like this is what we're making and this is what I'm teaching and you can do whatever you want, but I cannot guarantee you success or, or I cannot help you with this because it is not part of the class. So you just have to, you just have to set, set expectations. Have you had any, uh, problem classes uh no no and i really would tell you if if i did uh i i would say to be honest i i've really had uh just like every student is kind of a peach uh and and everyone really goes along with it uh and and it's worked out really really well with like a few very very minor exceptions uh as a ta as as someone helping uh, uh, te- teach classes. I've I've had to help other instructors deal with people that 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 want that that don't want to follow the program. I've I've had to I've had to help other instructors deal with that. But I've really not had uh, uh not had that sort of issue. That's a tough one. That's a tough one because I've only had a couple of experiences where there, you know, there you have this. We we're saying there's a you have a you have a very strict de- you have a strict deadline on on the day you have a deadline to get to this point by lunch you have a deadline to get to this point before dinner you have a deadline you know you're you you have a sometimes some of these classes the knife making i think are harder to teach only because there are points where you cannot you you have to heat treat the knife before you put the handle on yeah you have to temper the knife too you there are you cannot skip certain parts and if to be able to manage the whole class and to have one person who's difficult. I had that chance. I had that opportunity one time to have someone who was difficult, difficult in terms of safety, difficult in terms of not turning listening, difficult, difficult, just as this was a diff- this was a very strange situation. And I had to have a sit down and say, listen, this isn't my shop. This is, this is, I, we go by the rules of the shop and this is what we have to do. And I felt as though, 
there's a very good opportunity this person who is being difficult was going to screw up the whole class. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, as an instructor, you just can't, you just can't let, let that happen. And so uh, a technique that I use is that, you know, usually my, my workshops are so fast paced uh, and they're, they're very intense that everyone is just a little too shell shocked to kind of like step out of line. Right. Uh, so that, that's kind of a technique that I use. That's Oh yeah. Just keep them busy. Oh, keep them busy. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, yeah. You don't want anyone like standing around or doing anything like that. Cause then, you know, people start thinking, I need an update. Yeah. You, last time we talked, you were thinking about doing a class for juvenile delinquents. Oh, it was, yeah. It was a class. We, we were joking around about it. You know, ninja stars and ballet songs and switchblades and not brass knuckles. I got so many messages from people saying, if Nick teaches a class, we call it the juvenile delinquency class, I'm signing up. Has there any, been any thought to that happening? You know, I, I've not had much movement uh, in that particular workshop idea, uh, and and you know, the, there there's a lot of like I I feel um, that any workshop that I do, I'm very nervous about it filling, about it being successful, uh, because a lot of these are like nonprofit craft schools, and they bank they they sort of bank on the knife classes like always filling, so I'm always a little nervous to do things that are weird. Uh, things that are a little like outside the norm. Um, so I've not like scheduled that necessarily, although I I'm, I'm really, I'm hoping and I have to, uh, to start offering, uh, some small classes out of my workshop in 2024. It's kind of getting to that point where, uh, people won't leave me alone about it. And it's getting to the point where I'm just going to have to do it. So you may see that class idea, uh, you know, Pop well, as, you as just let thing. me know when I I will help you fill that class because I because I remember you said yeah you know we'll smoke cigarettes and eat pizza too and that was very much along the lines of this all of a sudden people are saying I'm ready to take the I'm ready to take the Nick Rossi the juvenile delinquents class I'm like all right well you know just got to talk to him I, I have nothing to do with it yeah so. yeah that'll be great we'll wear like we'll wear like motorcycle boots and like like roll up uh you know roll up the cigarette packs in our sleeves that'll whatever be awesome. yeah whatever that'll be cool. Yeah, that would be super cool. Yeah. Here's a question I have for you in regards to this is a little bit off the topic, but in the vein of, you know, I want your opinion. What do you think the difference is between influence and inspiration? Oh, shit. I influence and inspiration. What's right. the difference? Well, uh, not difference, but like you don't have to see, you know, I don't need exact answers. I hear people say, this is my, I was inspired. And I've used, I've used those, both those words interchangeably. But I wonder, is there a difference or not? Um, if you I need a second, I'll help oh, you. This is a, this is a tough one. I mean, I think that they are different, but I would hope to do as far as like my, my goals, I would hope to, uh, uh, you know, do both at the same time. Yes. You know, well, I think about cause I think about it based on, um, when I was, well, I, here's, I'll give you, I get, took some def the definitions. So, and, and I think about it and I, it might be my fault. It might be my fault because I, when I think of what art is, I always think of contemporary art. I never really think of like 
you know, I, I think of contemporary art. It's a very, very snobby thing. I think of sculpture. Like I, I think of like contemporary art and sculpture. That's art. Like that. That's my own problem. So when when I used to go to galleries and I would show my slides, like back in the day when we didn't have a phone, they would the, the, the gallerist would say to me, "Who are your influences?" And I would say Giacometti, and I'd say Brancusi and Keith Haring. And but the but what they the my influences weren't exact. I weren't. I wasn't trying to make what they do, but they influence a lot of style decisions that I've made over time. I can mm. feel it. Even yeah. like like something that's not like I'm not a painter really, but like Keith Haring to me was an inspiration because I would be inspired by his, the vibrancy of his work and his, his control of uh, contrast, his control of composition, and just the vibrancy of his work and the pop of it all. So, but I didn't make work like him. And so the definitions that I've been finding lately is inspiration is the process of being mentally stimulated to do or feel something, especially something creative. And influence is the capacity to have an effect on character, development, or behavior of someone or something else or affect itself. So, but it's interesting because like when you see people on Instagram, and the knife makers are, are uh, a lot of them interchange, they don't use the word influence as much as they use inspiration. They say, I was inspired by this person to do this and inspired by this design to do this. And I wonder if it's the wrong word. Well, you know, a, a lot of, you know, those, those words have a lot of baggage, um, right. you know, especially influencer on the internet now, yeah. like it has a negative connotation. Real that, douchebag. That, yeah. That you're, that, that, that you're someone that's really out for self, self aggrandization and not trying to inspire people. And I think that. Certainly in the knife world, there are people that are influencers uh, and certainly people that are you know, inspirational. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know. You know, I, I actually try to not pay attention to that. Um, okay. Specifically, uh, I try to just kind of worry about about myself um, and and like what what I'm doing. Um, in fact, like. I don't know. I, I tend to get all bent out of shape if I spend too much time uh, like worrying about like what what other people are doing on the Internet. I wasn't um, so. I wasn't trying to be I wasn't trying to, you know, sh cause a problem. No, but what I no. was but it was what is interesting because that word influencer has become such a has been become such a uh, you know douchebag. If you yeah. met someone and say to yeah. what do you do for a living, I say I'm an influencer. I'm, you, you don't say it out loud. You might mumble it, or you might in your mind be like, "Fucking influencer, Oh, he's an influencer. Yeah. But the the fact remains is back in the day, I would think about who my influences were, and then I can see the the roots of their influence on the design decisions that I've had. And I feel as though sometimes people use the word inspiration to make it seem as though they're being extra creative without crediting the person that they're taking ideas from. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You know, and I that that's a that's a fine line. That's a really fine line. I, I you know I, I I hope to not find myself on the wrong uh the wrong side of that line. Um, you know ah uh, yeah that's 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 a really a really tough thing. Um, and I prefer to ignore it for the most I'm part. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm with I, you. I, yeah. It's hard. It's hard. It, you know, it's fun. Once again, 
my age is dictating a lot of my decisions. And for me, blacksmithing has become, and I, so I started to do metalwork when I was 18. I was a steel sculptor in college. And it only because my father taught me how to use woodworking tools. And when I was taking this sculpture class that I didn't even know was a sculpture class, I was a freshman. I was trying to take an art class. I wanted to be a painter. My father's a painter. I was wanted to be a painter. I took a 3D design class. And my, I'm such an idiot. I thought 3D design was how to draw in 3D. So I show up to this sculpture studio wondering where the fucking easels are. <laughs> and the, there's bandsaws and plasma cutters and all this. And I'm just like, what's going on? And they're like, get ready. We're making sculpture. And I'm like, well, why didn't it say a sculpture class? I'm too stupid to know. And then I thought, all right, well, you know, I, my dad taught me how to use a bandsaw. I'll just use the wood, the, the wood stuff. And I'll never forget that the people were in line to use the bandsaw on the table saw. And I just couldn't wait. And my friend Dan Levine, who I, I spoke to a couple of weeks ago, he was an upperclassman. He turns to me and he goes, hey, kid, don't wait for glue to dry. Come over here. And he showed me how to use the MIG welder. And it was he, that's exactly what he said. He said, don't wait for glue to dry. Come over here. And I just... I know that a lot of my, in terms of the the reason why I've done these things, and I don't even know where that, why I'm going down this road, <laughs> but but I, I wonder, I, I think about the influences that I've had over my entire life and how that they've kind of come out in the work that I'm doing now. Can't help it. Yeah. Yeah. That is, uh, that is absolutely true. Uh, and and I, I, I mean, I've got especially like working in education and working with like real, you know, real, real, a different professional every week of your life. I've had like so many moments like that, that I can't, and I cannot even catalog them all. Uh, and they're, they're all so, so valuable. Um, so, uh, is, is that, I guess that is influence and not inspiration. Well, the hard part is, but the hard part is, is like, it goes against that idea of is knife making art. Because oh, if you, boy. if you can, and I'm sorry for making it, you know, giving you a hard one, but it's like <laughs> if I can teach you tricks and you can do what I do or you can do what somebody else does, does that make it a creative, a creative spotlight on who you are and what you're doing? Yeah, yeah, of course, of of course, knife making is art. I I, I think the it's pretty easy to make to make a case for that. I mean, I I, I feel like, you know, uh, my knife making is is not only, you know, uh, an extension of myself, but in an extension of, of my experiences and how I've moved through the world. Uh, and it's got, it's got historical consequences. It's got cultural consequences. Uh, it, it's all, it's all very related to, to my experiences and, in my life. So, I mean, I, you know, just the fact that it's useful, I mean, it's it's art to me, so I feel like I can make a, a pretty good case for that. That's uh, the best. That's the best answer I've ever heard. Yeah, thanks. And I've thanks. heard, and I've heard a lot of like, well, if I say it's art, it's art, which I'm not mad at that either. No, you know what I mean, Duchamp stuck a, a toilet on the wall and said this, this is art. I'm yeah. like, okay, all right, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I don't know what what kind of ticks me off the most is is like the. The, the the knife makers that are sort of like anti art they're, they they like take pride in sort of like a denigrating art as as a as as a pursuit like like oh I'm a I'm a craftsperson you know I'm not an artist I'm not like those guys you know and I I think that is just like just pretty pretty funny to me so, the funnier so. part is they denigrate artists but they want those artist prices 
Oh yeah. Oh totally. <laughs> don't, I mean, don't, all, don't we all? Yeah. I mean, the, no one's complaining with it. You know, no one's complaining about the sculpture prices. The the, the prices that you're 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 going up on. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I find it all to be interesting. And honestly, when it comes down to it, I never really cared. It's like, you know, as if you're happy, I'm happy. And to me, to me, it's all as I've gotten older. It's more like forging to me is more like yoga. Like I'm not, I'm not interested in comparing myself to other people. I'm far more interested in my own journey. Like now, like I said, I'm hitting 50. I have to like stretch more. I have to work out more. I have to watch what I eat. I, you, it's, I don't even tell people what I eat anymore because I'm so embarrassed. It's like bird seed. You know, it's, 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 it's really, really, really pathetic. However, it allows me to keep going and I see stuff and I see the struggle, the everyday struggle of forging something as this more of a mental pursuit as opposed to uh, a vanity thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, for me, it's, it, it's a means to an end. And, 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 in that, in that sense that, yeah, boy, you should see my, my self-care regimen that just keeps me moving on a day-to-day basis. It is, uh, uh, it's a, it's a, a tightrope, you know, and, and, and yeah, yeah. For, for all of you out there who are like 30 and feeling pretty good, like I gotta tell you, you know, you gotta start doing that yoga, start doing that stretching now. Um, yeah. So that's my recommendation for well, old, old man corner here. As as you've gotten older, what are the, some of the things you've done? Oh God. Like, well, you know, I, I mean, I, I got to a point where, you know, my, my upper back and chest hurt so bad that I could, I could work like maybe three or four hours a day and I was not sleeping at all. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just that, you know, like, like working at 10 tenths for literally 10 years straight and, wow. and just something is going to break. So yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got a chiropractor, I've got a, uh, I've got a massage therapist. Like I have to do, I have to do 20 minutes of yoga in the morning and 20 minutes of yoga at night or, or I am, I am, you know, useless. I am useless. So it is uh, something that I absolutely have to do. Uh, to keep myself, uh, keep myself ambulatory. Wow, you and, do forty minutes of yoga a day. Uh, yes, yeah. Wow. Yeah. First thing in the morning and f- right before bed. When, when I when I get to the shop and then before I go to bed, it's it's uh it, it is a uh, it, it is a maintenance thing that I I have to do. Also, like I'm a little crazier than most people. Like the the way I work, it is. It, it is like full on. So, I mean, I, I do get, I get beat up quite, quite a bit. I mean, it's, it's a lot of forging, you know, and, and for me, like, like the travel really beats me up too. So, so that, that really like sitting in cars, like sitting, sitting on airplanes, it just, it just kills me. So I'm, I'm having to make a little bit of a change with, with that stuff. What about diet, diet and any of the, any of the- Oh yeah. 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 Like, yeah, no, no, no fun stuff. Um, limited, limited fun stuff. And, you know, for me, like, you know, I, I love to cook and eat as much as I like to make knives. So that's always, that's always a struggle. Uh, this, so when I first started and when I was 19, I was working for the sculptor in Brooklyn and it was just, all I had was it, I, my job was I had an eight inch, uh, grinder with a cup wheel on it, giant cup wheel. And it was just like all day, every day, 19 years old, no big deal, 20 years old. We would go to lunch at this Mexican place and we would get burritos and tacos and we would get chuletas and, you know, steaks. And at lunch, we would just go hog wild. 
And I, you, I remember those days of going back to the shop, especially in the summer, and you're just like, how the fuck am I supposed to get back to work? And it never dawned on me. And then when I started in the Center for Mental Arts, and I was, now I'm hitting 30, I, ha I really thought of myself, I thought of like this is more like an athletic pursuit. And I'd st I would stop with the fat. I would eat high protein, lots of vegetables. I would get, I would do like more like a vegetarian diet. And I felt as though I could get back to work after sitting down for 30 minutes for lunch. And uh, then as I got older, I was just like, well, and, and the other thing was I'm, I, my, my, my wife's a nurse practitioner and, and it's like, you can't get anything past her. And I got it. <laughs> I got, I went to a doc, I got my blood test and they said that my, my um, cholesterol was a little bit high. Well, I mean, I might, I might as well have hit the nuclear button. I mean, it was like, I mean, uh, sh they said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, you know, I went to culinary school. I'll, I will get my cholesterol down on my own. And I had this modified vegan diet and a little salmon, but it was mostly vegetables and stuff like that. I got my down. And I made the decision when I was, I guess my daughter was one or two and I must have been like 32 or something like that. I said, I'm going to make changes in my life now so it's not a shock to my system when I'm 50. And that was such a huge decision and a hard decision. And I was doing more running and I, and I ran in the New York City Marathon. I was doing all sorts of trying to do as much exercise as possible and being comfortable eating like a monk and not enjoying the things that I enjoy. And now I feel as though I've been doing Peloton and exercise and we don't drink during the week. I went for a couple of years of just not drinking at all. And now I only have a couple of drinks of the weekends. It's pathetic. Horrible. <laughs> and it's like, and then I was at the point where I was like, well, every start, everything, everything started to affect me. And then maybe I'm drinking too much coffee and cut that out. There was one point where I, I was drinking too much seltzer water. I, now I feel as though I'm ready to kind of go into my fifties feeling. This is the best I've ever felt. And the back, I don't have back problems, lock on wood. I don't have any problems. I don't do enough yoga. I do some stretching, but I do uh, about 30 minutes of uh, Peloton a day. Nice. And I changed my diet. But yeah. it was, you talk about that and people think you're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 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 you know, you're going to have to deal with it at some point, probably, unless you're, you're some sort of, some sort of physical, you know, uh, like anomaly. Uh, yeah. Get, get, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen to you. But it comes down to also with forging in general, knife making and blacksmithing and all these things, even athletics, there's this strange mindset that people just assume you're going to be good without putting the work in. Like you're naturally gifted at something and that people don't understand that everything takes so much time. Even if you're being naturally good at something, it almost isn't even as virtuous as working hard enough to get good. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Like na na natural talent. I don't know. You know, also it's so it's so rare and forging that people just take to something so so quickly and easily that I don't even count it as like a thing. Uh, it does not even really exist in my mind, except for you know situations that are so rare they're not even worth worth mentioning. All right. So what else is going on? What else is going on with you? Is there anything you want to talk about? Or well, you know, I I uh. I did I did lots of 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 in person events uh, this 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 summer. Um, uh, I did a bunch of hammerins, and 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 I and I thought it was like kind of kind of interesting to see uh, you know the not not quite as as robust of an interest in in person events as I've seen in the past, hmm. and and I've seen. 
varying levels of success depending on the event and varying levels of uh, of in- enthusiasm and excitement. So that's been that's been kind of an interesting thing. Uh, and I, I think it's a little weird because you have certain events that share share certain certain things like like right now like like Renfest and like cons are really really popular. Like people show up to these and and they spend money. And and I I would like to see like that sort of excitement extend towards like hammerins and stuff like that. And and uh I I know that a lot of these traditional events, a lot of these sort of storied old school events that that have done very well uh are seeing less less interest le- less involvement and i i've just been kind of thinking about maybe like why that is i have i have thoughts on this oh lay, lay it on me well n- number one about six years ago uh my friend cliff dufton and john ariani and jesse savage and carrie savage we we were we asked to have a booth at the maker fair in queens and I thought, all right, we could just because we would do hammerins at John's place, and we'd have a good time. And they're gonna, you know, we're gonna let's do it in front of some people. And we would, you know, they would have bring a press, and they were forging all tea, you know, lights under the press, and making a big production. And we were doing all this stuff. And what happened was, it became very, it was very uh, social media strong. Like there was a lot of social media events to it. And then how Maker Camp started which is coming up this week. And actually, when this comes out, we're, I'm actually driving up to Maker Camp. It was the a lot of people who had a heavy social media presence. And I think that same could be said for Blade Show. Go to these things and they post a lot. And it makes it seem as though it's bigger than it actually is. Agreed. And, and I like Maker Camp. We, start, we were the first guys to be in there. But it's like... And I love it. And I'm going this year, but it's not like um, it's not like going to the Sphere in Las Vegas. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's it's like you have a lot of people who are who are meeting each other, and they maybe they've known each other on on Instagram, and it's a great event, and people are having a good time, and they have a lot of great things. But it's like it's kind of like Woodstock a little bit. I mean, it's a little bit like like I understand. There's a lot of interest, and everyone people are flying now. This year, people are flying from all over the place because what they've seen, what they've done, and what, and it is, it feels as though these events that do very well are highly uh, influenced. You know, influencers get in there, and then they really kind of jazz it up. Uh, yeah, yeah, that that that's really like what what makes it what makes it a thing, and that's what get get gets people excited about it. Um, and, and, you know, especially a lot of these sort of storied older events, they've not, uh, updated their social media in the way that they market these things. And, and that is, you know, cause like a lot of these are run by like old guys, right. like old, old people. And, yeah. and, and I, and, and I, I'm just always disturbed when I'm like the, like one of the younger people at, like, if I'm like one of the youngest people at an event and I'm 41 fucking years old like like what this is this is a concern so i i i think that i think that getting the youths involved 
Uh, and I'm not really sure how to do that. Um, well, I can think of a few ways, um, but but getting younger people involved is like what is going to have these in-person events continue to be successful and continue to grow. And that's what I would personally like to see. I've given, I give a lot of credit to the ABS. The ABS has renovated or completely changed how that, that I don't know how, if Bill Moran, if Bill Moran was alive, I wonder how he would feel about the ABS now, because you see all these young guns coming out and it is different than what you're saying in terms of everyone is old. You go to, you see, I remember seeing pictures of Jordan Lamont and Will Stelter and all these young guys, all these young guys. And when you, you see what the ABS has done where they've, I don't know if they wanted to embrace it. I don't know if they would like to embrace it, but they've gotten so much. I mean, your year of getting master bladesmith was, was a, I feel as though that that is, that should be a remarkable year in history of the ABS. Well, well, I would, I would argue the opposite. In fact, okay. and I, I would say that I would say that your, your, your wills and your Jordans, um, are, are, a. Uh, of uh, like we're talking about three people here. We're talking about like three or four people, and, and, and versus the 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 overall demographic, um, I I do not think that it is necessarily welcoming towards towards young people. And and by by not welcoming, I mean literally not being very welcoming. Like like I and, and th- this happens to me a lot. Like I I so I've you know like sometimes I've got like you know purple hair. Or something like that, you know. Right. Sometimes I got something going on, and and the way I'm treated before people figure out that I'm actually like supposed to be a demonstrator uh, is is kind of like telling. Like you, you'll you'll get you'll get a lot of like old codgers that will just stand there and stare at you, and and uh, and and this is very unwelcoming. Like if I showed up to a lot of these to some of these events and. And I showed up and like, just, just, just the, 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 as far as people being welcoming and like acting glad that I'm, I'm, you know, spending my money and, and showing up to this thing. Like if, uh, I would just go home a lot of right. the times. So, so I think that, uh, that, that, that a lot of attendees could really just work better on being nice and being welcoming. And I, I know that, that, that this, this used to be sort of like a gatekeeping thing where you had to show up to these events and you kind of had to prove yourself as like worthy of knowledge. But let me tell you, those days are over. Like they're dead. So that's, that's gone. Uh, the information's available on the internet without having to show up to these things. So, you know, you should be thrilled that anyone is showing up to these events and, and wanting to be a part of it, which I think is uh, the, the best way to learn. So they're, they're very, very valuable, but they're not necessarily welcoming in that sense. But this is also an old, this is the, an old story. I mean, blacksmithing was, before it was recreational, it was very, you know, you had your master and you had the apprentice and it was very, the secrets were very guarded. Yeah. And if you told the secrets, you were, you were uh, effectively uh, making your, you know, you're making your job obsolete. So there was a lot, years and years and years of secrecy in terms of that. But in terms of the younger people, I've talked to the you know the the morels at a at Abana, and I've made terrible cracks in regards to my opinions on what's going on on uh, uh, with Abana. When I first started the Center for Mental Arts, uh, yeah, to, I mean not too far from where you are, uh, like two thousand five or two thousand six, there was like three thousand members, 
And I was, and then somebody told me it was the biggest blacksmithing, you know, organization in the United States. And I was shocked. And I was shocked that it was just like, that's it? That's it in the entire United States? And I felt as though that there was always this level of, you, when you say gatekeeper, you're not wrong. There's a level of, there's a level of not understanding that things are changing and you have an opportunity. And when the, when Instagram came on and social media came on, that was the most anyone on this planet in, in terms of a society, in terms of a cultural phenomenon of seeing forging ever in the history of the world. You, everybody across the globe was able to see blacksmithing and forging and bladesmithing. Flipping a switch. It was like flipping a switch. And J then, just like that. And then how do these organizations not take advantage of that? Um, you know, you know it, it, it's, it's because that there, there are people out there who still truly believe that this whole internet thing is a fad and right. it will, it'll be over pretty soon. Uh, and, 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 uh, it is, uh, you know, if you want your, if you want your organi organization to die, like that's a pretty good way to look at it. I mean, I, 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 like I was saying in the beginning, I think that the delivery system for education is changing whether we like it or not. Yeah. And like the old guys that you're talking about. I think we're the old guys now. We and we are. We are the, that 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 this is this is a, a a consideration. But and I'm and instead of bucking it and complaining about it, I'm going to be accepting of it. And I've started to because I was thinking about that. So I was thinking about like my the way my kid learns is different than the way I learned. And the way that her generation sees the world is different than the way my generation saw the world. And that's okay. I don't need to say, well, the way we did it back then, this is the way you got to do it. If it works for you, I'm with you. I think that in regards to guys like you, and I know that my role has changed in terms of my own, my own personal pursuits have been, as soon as I was involved with blacksmithing and forging, it changed my life for the better. And my job is I want to help people get to the right people. And I want to help in terms of the... You're going to have to, we're going to have to, people are going to splinter off and you're going to have certain people are going to grow in a different direction than others. And you're going to have organizations and events like Maker Camp where you have a younger crowd going and they want to, you know, want to trade stickers and they want to watch forging and they want to buy hammers and they want to learn how to do this and want to ask questions. And you're going to have the guys who are going to look at you and they're going to be dismissive. I think that that's just the way it is. But if there are people like like you out there who are willing to be as helpful as you are to people who want to get better at what they're doing, then that's fine. Then that's great. But at the same time, we can't, we can't stop the wave, but maybe we can, def, you know, we can maybe de deflect a little bit of a stream to the people who want it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that there's like so much, so much interest and so much momentum uh, here that it's, it's going to do what, what it's going to do. Uh, and, and I, I, I see that as generally being a good thing. Me too. Me too. I'm, yeah. I'm optimistic, but at the same time, I don't need to stamp my feet and say, that's not the way you do it anymore. No, like, no. And no, that's a long not. time. Yes. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not so, I'm not so out of touch, uh, that, that I think that that's like a good idea. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep my mind limber. I'm trying I, to, uh, you know, like, you know, you don't want to. You know, the, the, it's really pretty sad if you try and be like cool, like the young kids. But I, I think that I can, uh, you know, I can kind of uh, see where they're going with this whole thing. I, 
I was expecting a little bit of that that subversive Facebook Nick Rossi. I thought you were going to hit me with a couple of hot takes that were like you know shots across the bow, but I, I you're mean, very you're not like that. I don't know. I mean, like I don't know. I feel like saying that 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 a lot of these a lot of these events are like staffed by a bunch of like lame, lame old guys. Are, I, I, that's kind of a shot across the bow, is it not? Uh, no, no. Every, everyone already a, knows that. Everyone already I, knows that. I I think I might have said on this podcast with Jesse was on, and I know that a band listens because they they're always sending me messages. I said. <laughs> something along the lines of why don't you give your phone to your 13 year old kid and knock it off and give it to your kid and let them run your instagram account you know like have some do something different because it ain't working <laughs> they, i said yeah. something along those lines and I, I may or may not have uh you know i don't know i i i i feel strongly that i have nothing but love for these organizations and i feel as though they're just missing something they're missing a little bit of youth they're missing a little bit of like the ability to kind of make these things happen. And, and I just want the best for them all. Yeah. And like, you know, you don't, you don't have to be like a, a social media, like, like brilliant person at, at this stuff. Like you just have to make an effort. I mean, just like learning how to forge a, forge a point, like you can learn how to use, uh, you can learn how to make a reel. Like it, it's, it's a skill that can be acquired. It's not that hard, you know? And so I think that, that that is is there's just not a lot of motivation to to try new things and learn and learn new things. So I think that that's the biggest uh, the biggest thing that's going to be in the way of a lot of these a lot of these sort of classic organizations moving forward. Well, but at the same time, I think the takeaway is I think the generational growth is is going to be better. I I, I see that especially when I look at the ABS and I look at. I mean, you had 51 people, apply, you know, apply to be the two years ago to be 50 some odd people to apply to be, uh, uh, I always say junior Smith. I, yeah, it's junior journeyman, yeah. journeyman <laughs> Smith, but it's like, it is. And you, you know, I hear, you know, you guys like Matt Stagmer and they're very like, they're, they're a lot of people are, are harnessing the, the, the history in it all. They're trying to bring it forward and I appreciate them and I appreciate the things that people do in order for this to be seen. And I am very, very appreciative of all that you do because it's very important to have extraordinary instructors like you helping to go forward. You got to keep doing the yoga. You got another 15 more years at least of doing yoga. I mean, oh, at yeah. least. Yeah. Because we need you around for a lot longer. You're going to be a very important role in the in the next generation of forging. Well, well, I will be sure to be as limber as possible for all of you out there. There you go. Nick Rossi, he's about to do some downward dog right now, getting ready for yep. whatever whatever's coming his way. What's your yeah, yoga man. pose? What's your favorite yoga pose? Uh, I don't know, like a, a, a warrior one, maybe. There you go. Warrior one. There he is. Nick Rossi, warrior one. Guys, I want you to do me a favor. I know that you already follow Rossi, is it Rossi Knives or Nick Rossi Knives? N Nick Rossi Knives. Nick Rossi Knives on Instagram. He's an awesome follow. And if you're in the mood for some hot takes, go friend him on on Facebook. He he he's very subversive. I love watching when he, when you say something, it's like you throw a little firecracker into a room, and then the, <laughs> you see what all the ants do. It's pretty wild. It's pretty that wild. But I appreciate everything that you do, and um, I'm honored every time you're here. Thank you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Guys, you know what to do. All right, we're going to see you next week. We may have a panel discussion on next week. We're going to see what happens. Fingers crossed. And uh, thank you for your support. Nick, thank you as always. Thank you.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.